0: You are listening to a podcast of Risen Savior Lutheran Church in Chula Vista, California. Growing in faith, living in hope, serving in love, all to the glory of God. Just consider once again these words of Matthew 27. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Pretty disturbing, right? The whole company of soldiers was against him. A company or cohort was made up of one-tenth of a legion of Roman soldiers. So that means that there were roughly 600 Roman soldiers gathered, assembled against him. In the praetorium, the chief residence of the governor. This wasn't just a a gathering of 600 general onlookers seeing what's going on there. 600 soldiers gathered against Jesus. That's intimidating or disturbing or whatever you want to call it what happened to him that day. And then what else do we learn? We we learned that they they stripped him. Maybe the, the most difficult part of the day up until that moment, just think about that, how humiliating that would be, to have your clothes taken off of you in front of the governor, to have your clothes taken off of you in front of 600 soldiers, humiliating, disturbing, whatever word you want to use to describe what happened to Jesus that day. Things got worse, of course. Then there is the, the well-known crown of thorns that they slammed onto his head. I know that when we lived in South Dakota, there was a certain thorn called a goat head that we wanted to stay away from at all costs. Not only was it painful to step on, but very difficult to get the thorn out. I also learned this week that apparently the, the thorn bushes that grow in and around Jerusalem produce Some of the sharpest and strongest prongs of a thorn. But does that really matter? What thorn we're talking about? They all hurt when we step on them. We can't even imagine what it'd be like to have them pressed onto our heads. Yeah, it's disturbing what they did to Jesus that day. And then we we learn that they started spitting on Jesus For me, for for a guy who is grossed out by spit, for a guy who has a hard time even saying the word saliva, I can't even imagine this part of it. Again, he is surrounded by 600 soldiers, which means there was no shortage of saliva or spit that day. Disturbing. Then we we learn that they took a staff and beat him over the head again and again. Uh, It's documented in those days that a lot of the criminals that experienced that part of the punishment died from it. There were a lot of criminals in Jesus' day that didn't make it to the cross. They died before they even got there. Yeah, things were really bad for Jesus that day. It's disturbing. We might be able to call it disturbing, but we definitely cannot call it surprising what happened to him that day. In fact, there is a prophet, Isaiah, who spoke in incredible clarity hundreds of years before Jesus was even born about this suffering servant, and he speaks in the past tense as if it already had happened. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And then, of course, in the very days leading up to this day, Jesus himself told his disciples on many occasions I must go to Jerusalem and suffer. No, what happened to Jesus is not surprising, but it is disturbing. But now I'm going to try to make the argument that of all the things that I've mentioned that happened to him already, that's not the most disturbing part of that day. That's not the most disturbing detail from the text. The most disturbing part of it all is found at the very end of it. Then they led him away to crucify him. And I'm not even talking about the crucifixion part, as disturbing as that is. The most disturbing part of this entire text are those three little words. They led him. They led him. The one who had the power to heal people of diseases. He healed the man with leprosy. They led him. The one who could cast out demons from someone by simply speaking a word. They led him. The one who had power over the things of nature. He, he changed water to wine. He, he calmed thunderstorms with the word. He walked on water. This is the one with whom they were taking the lead. They led him. The one who had power over death. Right? He, he raised the son of the widow from Nain as, as he was in his casket being carried to his burial. He raised his friend Lazarus, who was dead in the grave as well. This is the one with whom they were taking the lead. They led him, the one who had a way of knowing everything. He knew the, the, every intention of the Pharisees, even though they tried to keep those intentions closely guarded to themselves. He knew the entire history of the Samaritan woman at the well, even though that was the first time he met her. He knew about Judas's betrayal before it happened, and the same is said about Peter's denial. He knew about it before it took place. He literally knew all things, and this is the one with whom they're taking the lead? They led him, the one who was worshipped as God by the Magi, the one who was worshipped as God, by the angels, they led him, the one who is called God by his Father in heaven. They were taking the lead with him. What's interesting about the way the Romans did things with these types of processions is that the centurion would be in the front of the, the parade and he would announce the, the crimes of the criminal behind him, which makes you wonder about that day, right? The Gospels don't record it for us, maybe because they can't. But one has to wonder what the centurion's proclamation was that day, as Jesus had committed no crime. Ah, now we're getting to the real heart of the matter of who it is they were trying to lead. He had committed no crime. That very centurion who had the responsibility of proclaiming his crimes later that day finally recognized him as surely he was the Son of God. He finally got it. He finally got it. That's who they were taking the lead with, with him, the Son of God. And that's a problem. Anytime someone tries to play a leader with God, that is a problem. It should always be the other way around. Whenever I think of someone taking the lead in something, the immediate image that comes to my mind is a wedding service. And and a lot of times at the beginning, there's the boy and the girl, the young children that come forward, maybe the ring bearers. At least my personal experience is that they never walk in together. One is always taking the lead and dragging the other behind. which is what we like to do with Jesus once in a while. We like to take the lead with him rather than the other way around. Oh, we know where he leads us in matters of morality and spirituality, life in general and specific, and yet we're the ones that like to take the lead, right? We have our plans carefully marked out for the day or for for the week or the year and, and we feel this is the best way it should be and we expect Jesus to get back in line and fall in place with those plans of ours. We know exactly where Jesus leads us in matters of spirituality. I am the way and the truth and the life, he tells us. And our response many times is, no, my way is the way. We know exactly where Jesus leads us as he says very clearly in two words, follow me. And we say to him, no, you follow me. And so it's only fair that the the question that I asked about the centurions and, and the soldiers is a question we have to ask of ourselves too. Do we realize who it is with whom we are taking the lead? We realize who it is. It's the same Jesus we talked about earlier, the, the, the same one who, who, who is the creator, the same one who, who is the one that, that raised people from the dead, the son of God. That's the one that we play the lead with. And that is always 100% of the time a problem. As disturbing as it is, what what the centurions and the soldiers did to Jesus that day, it is equally as disturbing when we play the lead with God. Yeah, at least for me, that's the most disturbing part of this text. Those three little words, they led him. But if that's the most disturbing part of the text, that they took the lead with the Son of God, what is the most surprising part? Jesus followed them. I mean, wow, right? Talk about wow factor. Jesus followed them. He followed them, the the ones he created. He followed the ones he was Lord over. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, followed them to where they were leading him. I suppose the only more surprising thing than that is, is he followed them to the cross to immediately forgive them for their acts that day. He followed them to the cross to immediately forgive them for their arrogance that day. And, And is equally surprising for us, he followed them to the cross to forgive us for our sins. Which makes us wonder, really, who was taking the lead that day? It wasn't the centurion and the soldiers. It was Jesus and his love. We, we know the, these details so well. We review them every Holy Week. We, we remember them every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. We maybe have seen movies that puts these events into pictures. And then there's the hymn writer who asks the question, were you there when they crucified the Lord? I mean, what if we were there, literally, physically there? What if we could hop on a time machine today and be right there that day? Where would you go? What would you do? I knew I was going to ask that question and I had time to think about it this week, so let me share with you what I would do, where I would go. Knowing what I know about myself as a sinner and knowing what I know about Jesus as the Son of God What I would do is this, I would go right to that procession, I would go to the front of the line, stand next to the centurion, and I would not push him to the side or push him to the back of the line where he belonged. I would not tell him to stop leading. In fact, I would start leading with him. I I would lean over to him and say, no time to stop now. Let's keep going. We need to keep going. We need to get Jesus to the cross. We need to get him there today for me, for you, and for the whole world. As disturbing as that sounds now, that is exactly what we needed then. We needed Jesus on the cross. We needed him to carry the punishment of sin so that we don't have to. We needed him to cry out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we don't have to do that. We needed him to say on the cross, to declare on the cross, it is finished because it is something we never could finish. So as disturbing as it sounds now, that is exactly what we needed then. And thank God, thank God, he followed that way that day. That is the single most greatest act a king has ever performed for the people of his kingdom. And it is that humility, that sacrifice, that love that makes him the king of kings. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Risen Savior podcast. For more information about our church, Check us out online at risensavior.us